Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the show which helps you lead where God has placed you. I'm Andy Peck. A Christian leader worth his salt is going to be aware of the emotional health of those they lead and attempt to ensure that the health is positive rather than negative. But of course leaders themselves are not immune to facing challenge to their own emotional well-being, not least because leading others takes its toll. Well to talk about emotional health and the Christian leader I'm joined by Will van der Hart, a pastoral chaplain at Holy Trinity Brompton, London and founding director of Mind and Soul. He's written various books including one with Rob Waller, The Perfectionism Book by IVP. I hope to squeeze in some questions about perfectionism as it pertains to emotional health too. So Will, welcome to Leadership File. Thanks, Andy. It's always great to be here with you. Um, uh, let's set the scene in terms of what we're talking about first. What does what does emotional health look like? Well, I think emotional health is a, is a state of self-awareness. It doesn't mean that life is necessarily going to be easy, but it does mean that we're aware of what's going on within our sort of inner world. Uh, emotional ill health is this sort of blind spot uh, which gets fed often through addictions or overwork, uh, exhaustion, and we make bad decisions. Uh, the emotionally healthy leader is a leader who understands and knows themselves and is able to describe their state of being at any particular time and therefore respond accordingly. So they might say, you know, I need a day off or, you know, I'm going to go for a walk right now. I'm taking care of my, uh, my inner world, my spirituality, my mental health and my physical life. Okay. Now, it, obviously, one, one might hope that leaders might be aware of, of poor emotional health. But it, well, I still have to ask the question, what might be signs that things are struggling? Because notoriously Christian leaders kind of work through stuff, don't they, when it's not so pleasant? I mean, Christian leadership is a tough place to be, <laughs> but I think there are a lot of Christian leaders with some pretty big blind spots. Um, and it doesn't take much imagination to see that worked out in, in the public eye. Mm. What we uh, often have are leaders who are passionate about caring for others, but they often sacrifice self-care mm. for the sake of the care of others. What they don't realise is a lack of self-care often makes them less effective in caring for others. I mean, Jesus' own model is quite remarkable. Uh, Jesus constantly goes up the mountain to pray, goes up the mountain to be with the Father, or he eats well. Um, he spends time with a close group of friends. I mean, when he goes to Simon uh, Simon Peter's mother's house, sort of the whole village come round for healing. This is very early in the morning. Jesus left the house, and he left the house for what anyone knew where he'd gone. So much so that the disciples go looking for him, after, you know, when they wake up. But but he's he's in he's in that place of restoration, hmm. and um, so it's a model that we all need to uh, uh, accept and adopt. The trouble is, as leaders, we can often end up trying to serve the needs of others, and therefore we neglect ourselves to the state where we're not actually effective in our leadership. Right, right. Well, I was going to ask, you know, are there particular challenges for those in leadership of a local church? I kind of connected to the first question, but, but you know, imagine, you know, some Christian leaders who are pastors or vicars, maybe of a small congregation. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the greatest dangers is the danger of overwork. And that danger is often fueled by the uh, expectations of a congregation. And they will often say, oh, we, you know, we expect you to do this, that and the other. They often do this actually to the clergy spouse as well, male or female. You know, you're, you're supposed to be a support. You're supposed to be running the children's groups. And um, we expect to knock on your door any time of day or night. You should always be available to us. Uh, often, again, if the leader themselves haven't got good boundaries or strong self-concept, or if they are 
it was mainly as a vulnerable to approval, the syndrome of needing ongoing approval. We, it's easy to let go of self-care and actually make a kind of model out of always being available. And obviously that, that leads to burnout. I think the EA's uh, most recent study that I've read on clergy burnout said that 51% of pastors and clergy in the UK could identify strongly with stress. Um, I think uh, 20 or 30% of Anglican clergy had experienced anxiety and depression. Um, so the, 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 the actual psychological impact of ministry on many leaders is very significant. But it's very, very easy to fall into a place where we spiritualize a sort of masochistic approach to ministry, which is that, you know, Jesus went to the cross um, for my sake. Therefore, I've almost got to go to the cross in ministry for the sake of Jesus. But actually, Jesus died for our sake. He didn't ask us to then um, try and sort of punish ourselves into the kingdom. Of course, Jesus says, pick up your cross daily and follow me. But but we don't we don't win glory by destroying our lives and our, the lives of our families actually we do it through the service of the suffering savior ministry is never easy but we have a responsibility to take care of what god has stewarded us with and that that is our emotional and mental health as much as anything else right. well thank you uh, i was i was gonna as i say bring in some questions about perfectionism within within our conversation because yeah. I, I really enjoyed uh, the book he wrote with is it Rob Waller? With Rob Waller, yeah. Waller. So Rob's a consultant psychiatrist. Sure. So we we've been writing together. We yep. went to university together. So we've been oh, writing together for for a long time. Yes, yeah. he did a book on worry, worry and guilt and false guilt. Yeah, and perfectionism. We're just writing now on the power of belonging together. Oh, splendid. Yeah. Okay, well, look forward to that. So, um, in, in the book, you you ref- reference psychologists Hewitt and Flett, yeah, who developed a multi-dimensional perfectionism scale. Yeah, MPS to help reflect the three clear dimensions of perfectionism. I just I thought it'd be useful to for you to reflect on that and and for us to kind of look look at some questions surrounding yeah, course, it for yeah. for listeners because I think perfectionism often is is part of the issue for the emotional health of leaders. Yeah. So so the three um, clear dimensions of perfectionism first of all. Yeah, so here's the, the basically trying to help us identify what perfectionism was. The trouble with perfectionism is lots of people think it's kind of naughty but quite nice. Mm. So they. They, they are happy to um, condemn other sins, but they just won't identify perfectionism as a potential one. Mm. But actually, um, Annie Wilson Schaeff writes that perfectionism is self-abuse of the highest order. It's a very serious, very grave condition. Mm. And because perfectionism is quite amorphous in, in people's understanding, um, Hewitt and Flett brought that down to a little bit more simplistic view. So what they did was they, they said there was this self-orientated perfectionists. The, these are denoted by people who are constantly berating themselves in their own inner narrative. So other people might think they're amazing, but they always hammer themselves. You're rubbish. You're useless. If people knew what you were like, they'd never follow you. You know, your leadership is weak. Da da da. da. So they just hammer themselves all the time. Now, then there's other orientated perfectionists. The, these people are equally unhappy with themselves, but what they do is they project their aggression, and uh, rather than internally, they project it externally onto other people. So these are the leaders who punish the congregations. You know, you're not passionate, you're not turning up on time, you're not for Jesus in the same way that we're for Jesus. You know, if you really cared about Jesus, this is how you would serve. So they punish the congregations rather than actually deal with what they actually feel inside. And then they're what we call socially orientated perfectionists. So these people believe that society at large uh, leaves them excluded, that they don't match up to those norms. And the church as an institution 
is particularly powerful as a socially orientated vehicle of perfectionism. So people feel that they don't match up to uh, the church itself. So they try and fit in. Maybe they wear clothes similar to other people. They, 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 they carry their Bible. They speak in a particular way. They, they, they're keen to sort of create, if you like, a persona that belongs when actually they feel that they don't really match up. So this great underpilling feeling of fraudulence that lots of people justify their perfectionism because they say, if I wasn't a perfectionist, I just wouldn't get anything done. So what they've done is they've associated excellent performance with perfectionism. But perfectionism doesn't support excellent performance at all. Perfectionism's got nothing to do with excellence. Actually, perfectionism undoes your excellence. And magazines like Forbes, great business magazine, suggest that, that, that companies should not hire perfectionists because perfectionists damage team morale. They often have latent and complex mental health problems which cannot work out well in the working environment. Uh, they often become martyrs and always just want to be the person who either receives the glory or expresses their kind of lack of support from others. And so perfectionism is actually in business now perceived to be a very, very dangerous facet to life. In Christian leadership, unfortunately, it's also quite common. Yeah. And, and the, the word um, uh, imposter syndrome, is that, that fits in with the first one? Yeah, I think, I think imposter syndrome fits in with, with all of them. I mean, I talk a lot in my writing with Rob about the shadow, about mm. the sort of the path of ourselves that we really want to hide, of uh, this sense that actually, um, particularly for leaders, this sense that I, I don't match up and I need to work to validate myself in the eyes of other people. I mean, I, you know, I've definitely fallen into this, Andy. I'm not like them. We didn't write these books to kind of critique <laughs> others. Every leader I know who wants to do a good job feels that they often don't match up. And, and ultimately, the model's Jesus. So it's pretty hard to match up. It's pretty hard to say, yes, I'm worthy of the calling that Christ has laid on my life. But of course, grace is the antidote to perfectionism mm. because actually we've been made worthy by Christ. And actually, we've not called to be pharisaical about the way in which we work. And being vulnerable, having needs, they are they're human facets. And actually, if, if we can't accommodate or support those in ourselves, we're actually very deficient in our pastoral ministry for others. Yeah. Um, now, in the book, you, you have some very helpful exercises for folk to um, work through. Um, so I don't want to give, give away everything. Obviously, <laughs> folk need to buy the book. But, but the other, uh, one or two folk might be listening, or more than one or two, I suspect, and thinking, hey, that... You've just nailed me. <laughs> yeah. So what would be the the start to recovery? You mentioned grace, and I guess, uh, in a sense, understanding the gospel better, or at least allowing it to Yeah, I mean, it's, easy to, it's easy to answer <laughs> these complex questions yeah. by saying, you know, the answer is Jesus. <laughs> the answer is always Jesus in all of our books. But there are tools to help mm. you get towards a place of freedom. I mean, that if there was going to be an 11th commandment, it might, you know, if I was going to be so bold, I would say it was know thyself. And actually... Yeah. Well, as leaders, we always have to sit down and go, okay, why am I doing what I'm doing? I, I, as, I mean, as an Anglican priest, I feel calling is very specific, that God calls us, and he calls us to specific works that he's prepared in advance for us mm. to do. But, but the specific nature of those works is that they're not every work. And um, I think it's very helpful to come back to a place of asking yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? Mm. I remember working with a woman who had quite a significant nervous breakdown following the death of her very elderly mother. And she'd been a very celebrated doctor, um, This the, the lady I was working with. And um, we spent a long time sort of unpicking what had happened in this breakdown. But it transpired that actually she'd really been chasing achievement for the sake of her mum saying, I really love you and I prove of you. 
Mm. And when her mum finally died, I think at the age of sort of 96, there was a kind of breaking in in, the, in her psychological state of the realisation that was never going to happen, despite all that she'd been chasing after for for 50 years in her professional career. And I, I think a number of us work very hard to get an to get approval, if we're honest. And that might be approval from people in our care, or it might be approval from people in our family. It might even be approval for people who've actually died. I'm still meet people who are, you know, working in the memory of their very, um, you know, uh, demanding parent. And we have to address those things and actually say we don't need we don't need to live like that anymore. That actually I'm a workman approved of by God, and I have limitations. Well, one of the amazing things about addressing perfectionism is you, you suddenly realise that you cannot do it all. But in understanding that you cannot do it all, you actually bring other people to collaborate in ministry with you, which empowers other leaders in your church. And it breaks the martyr syndrome of I need to do everything and be seen to do everything. And suddenly you have a, a church in which there are many workmen and women who are all doing the works that God has approved for them to do. And that makes for a happy church, an empowered church. A church where there's one leader or one very small group of leaders who are doing everything is often a sign actually that, that there is that perfectionism that's kind of ruling the roost. And there's a need to, if you like, reintegrate. I think as well, I mean, people in the world today are looking for integrity. We connect with people in our vulnerabilities, not in our strengths. If we don't demonstrate any vulnerability, people don't think that we need them and therefore there's no connection. Lots of leaders think, oh, if I show any vulnerability, people aren't going to follow me anymore. But in fact, the reverse is true. The more vulnerable you are and the more, the more open you are, the more likely people are to follow your leadership and also to support you in your leadership. So perfectionism would cause you to build an ivory tower where you don't demonstrate any need but when you're sort of an omnicompetent individual. And of course, that is a very lonely and frightening place to be. Uh, I think leaders suffer from what I call leadership vertigo. The higher they climb, uh, the more scary the drop. Yes. And when you start working at that level, that frantic level, that's when really um, leadership gets out of control. We're listening to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Will van der Hart. He's the pastor chapter a chaplain at Holy Trinity Brompton and we're talking about uh, emotional health and the leader and particularly perfectionism we'll be back just after this Welcome back to the Leadership File with me Andy Peck I'm joined this week by Will van der Hart a pastoral chaplain at Holy Trinity Brompton and uh, co-author with Rob Waller uh, the perfectionism book by IVP um, he's uh, um, we've been talking about emotional health and the leader and particularly the struggles that uh, uh, that leaders f face within perfectionism uh, as one facet of that. Um, you, you mentioned the, 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 the shadow, identifying the shadow mission um, uh, in passing world before the break. Um, can you just unpack that just a tad? Yeah, I mean, Andy, I'd say to you two things. I, I could preach uh, Christ is crucified, hmm. or I could preach Will van der Hart is funny. Hmm. Now, the sermon to the congregation would sound probably exactly the same, right. but my intention is actually quite different. Okay. And if I'm fulfilling my true mission, I'm preaching Christ crucified. Mm. But if I'm fulfilling my shadow mission, I'm preaching Will van der Hart is funny. Okay, right. So one of them serves the purpose of Christ and one of them serves the purpose of me. Mm. Many of us run what I call shadow missions. Mm. And these are often these are part of our blind spot. They are the things that we do to make ourselves feel safe, feel better about life, feel better about the world feel more confident mm. and more assured. 
but they actually aren't our real mission. And the shadow mission is often rooted in some of our childhood experiences, often built up over time. Being unaware of what our shadow mission is means we can never really readjust our, our, you know, our, our approach to leadership to actually be fulfilling the mission that God's called us to. I mean, for Moses, his shadow mission was to look after sheep, but his true mission was to shepherd the people of Israel to freedom. There's only ever normally five degrees between our true mission and our shadow mission. That's why they always feel so kind of normal. And you can always tell a leader who's struggling with their shadow because they always work incredibly hard to justify what they're doing. What they're doing is he's not justifying it to other people. They're trying to justify it to themselves. Mm. And when the shadow mission really gets out of control, that's when leaders fall into addictions and they begin to grow, if you like, a very dark and hidden life that they think is okay on the basis that it it props them up to carry on doing the work of the Lord. And that's incredibly sad, and it's never long then before that whole lifestyle breaks into the light and often, sadly, leaders end up leaving ministry altogether. Everyone has a shadow mission, and often, you know, and it might be approval, or it might be power, or it might be influence. What we have to do is bring our shadow mission under the Lordship of Christ and get back to the mission that we're really called to. I, I think when we can... When we can match our, if you like, our true selves, who we really are, with the true mission that God has called us to, that's when we're truly powerful in the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, many of us live a false self, you know, a, a, an idealized self-image in the public domain, and then run a false, you know, shadow mission, if you like, to prop ourselves up and hope there's some holy byproduct of all that kind of mess that will be good. And for sometimes for a while there is, you know, everything seems great. Mm. But I think as a leader, you've got to ask yourself how do I want to lead? You know, how do I want to live this life of ministry? Is it about kind of keeping it all cloaked and kind of held together for as long as I possibly can before I hit the buffers? Mm. Or is it actually that I live well as a leader? I think Jesus, again, as our model, shows us what it's like to live well as a leader. He's the ultimate leader, filled with integrity, absolutely on course for the mission that God has called him to. Now, not that mission's not hard. I mean, Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, Father, if it be your will to take this, take this cup from me. He didn't want to go to the cross as a, from the human perspective, mm. but he was obedient to the true calling. And actually his true self and his true mission were always combined. Whereas Jesus' critique is always leveled at leaders who's, who've bypassed their true calling. So he's always critiquing the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who he's call, he calls a brood of vipers, because actually they're their true mission is to serve God, but actually, in Jesus' perspective, they're serving themselves. Leaders will not thank me on the airwaves for saying that, you know, we can be self-serving in leadership. But I think if we're honest, I mean, I would say I can be very self-serving in leadership. I can, I can heal my own wounds by becoming funny and listening out at the end of a talk to see whether people were amused by me. And then I can feel good about myself because I've said something that... You know, I feel warm and fuzzy because mm. I've got approval or celebration. Actually, far better that a lot of people leave a service feeling very angry with me because I've pointed out gospel truth to them that they, they don't like. But I've been honest, and I've fulfilled the mission to which God has called me. That's the right way of leading. And I always have to adjust my trajectory five degrees back to my true mission. Perfectionism is the power that would take me off course. It's the thing that... Um, leaves me working for myself, not working for Jesus. And in the church, it's easy to think, oh, perfectionism, that's, that's akin to holiness, isn't it? 
But Jesus doesn't ask us to be perfect. He asks us to be holy. Those two are completely different things. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is all fascinating stuff, and I, I would urge listeners to get the book because uh, because it is enormously insightful, and I think you need to mull over these things, reflect, you know, longer than we can do in a conversation. So, th- so thank you for for giving us some insights into these things um but in terms of emotional health um th- there may be some leaders listening thinking you know this has probably just come at the right time because things are going pear-shaped for me in some respect um I, I mean, can you give general advice on emotional health i mean is it is it yeah, kind of, of obvious i mean i think is it look, so contextual that <laughs> <laughs> no i think every leader i think in look, what's exciting only is that when we started working as a little think tank on emotional mental health Mm. in 2005 leaders were not talking about emotional mental Mm. health at all here we are 12 plus years Mm. on and leaders now really talking about emotional and mental health which is Mm. really exciting it's important though to do more than just talk Mm. and um, leaders become experts in many things but actually practitioners in only a few and my encouragement is obviously to start with appraising your way of working and asking yourself is this healthy as in if I'm a steward of my body and of my mind then am I being a good steward I I find a remarkable number of leaders eat badly uh, sleep very little exercise even less are furiously grumpy with their wives and children or husbands and children and um, would be pretty embarrassed if someone was watching what was going on in their household as a fly on the wall. Mm. At the same time, they might go to the church and present beautifully. Their family might seem to act perfectly and everyone might think completely the reverse. I would say if there's a big front stage, backstage gap in your life, that's a great place to start. And that's about not reordering the backstage so much as it is bringing some of the backstage onto the front stage. I think it's about creating space um, to be listened to. I, I, for a long time, I met a therapist, which I found very helpful. I always suggest that senior leaders have a supervision with an independent person who's paid for that supervision space. So few leaders have a place where they feel they can be honest about what's really going on in their lives because they don't trust the confidentiality uh, that's needed to be uh, around that particular meeting. I think when you spend time talking with someone who is skilled as a skilled guide, you can begin to work out actually what you need to thrive in leadership, not just survive in leadership. These things are, some leaders say to me, oh, well, that's just a luxury, or you know, this is just a diversion from my true calling. I'm saying, look, you massively overestimate what you can achieve in one year and underestimate what you can do in five. If that's true, that's a Sandy Millerism. If that's true, then the lifetime of ministry requires you to do well over a very long period. In most other professions you have work-based appraisals, job moves, assessments, and yet in ministry it's very easy to be sort of self-directed and self-appraised. Mm. So knowing what's going on is fundamental, but then putting together a program of kind of points of the day which create space. I think prayer is often neglected by leaders, sadly. Mm. Uh, but prayer's not just good in, as a spiritual practice, it's good as a psychological practice. Uh, walking is a very good emotionally healthy exercise because walking is not just exercise, it's also processing time. A proper rest day once a week where there's a day completely free of phones and emails and mm. 
a good diet, um, a, a group of good friends uh, who you can have fun with, um, a sport or a hobby that you like to undertake to switch off. All of those things are really important. Now, loads of leaders will be listening to this thing. I'm far too busy to do any of those things. But if you're far too busy to do any of those things, you're just far too busy. Ultimately, it comes down to boundaries and priorities. And if you prioritize your spiritual and your emotional health, you'll be a more effective leader. So it's not about whether or not you can not afford to do this. You know, you can afford to do this is whether you can not afford to do mm. this. That's the key question. Can you, can you not afford to be a better leader? And what are you modeling ultimately to your congregation? Are you modeling that you need to work harder and faster and achieve more and neglect those things that are important? Or are you modeling you need to prioritize those things that are important and you need to work at a pace which enables you to run the race to which you're called for a lifetime? Well, well, that's, that's a wonderful place to, to stop. Sadly, we have to stop. But uh, the book, again, is um, Perfectionism. It's called the F Perfectionism Book. It's uh, Will van der Hart and Rob Waller. Uh, it's by IVP. I guess you can get it at Christian Bookshops yeah, and online. Bookshops, yeah, Eden and online, and I think Waterstones as well. But um, it would be great for people as well to check out the MinusSoulFoundation.org website because we've got tons of resources there for leaders that they can engage with. Loads of free resources, talks, and you know more more material about how to get emotionally healthy. Wonderful. Well, you've been listening to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I do uh, log on to Premier's website and listen to archived versions of Leadership File, including this one in due course. I look forward to your company again next Sunday at 3.30. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's Word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk.